Hello, welcome to the Episodes podcast. My name is Jimmy Bowens. I am the head of English here at EP and I am joined by Irini Christopoulos, who is the head of English for Australia. And we are on our journey again through our lives of literature. This is part four in the Loving Literature series. <laughs> and um, we're get, getting to know each other intimately through our through our literature choices. So if you haven't listened to parts one, two, and three, I highly recommend that you uh, maybe stop this one and go back and uh, start at number one. We are looking at the texts that have changed us, the texts that have impacted our lives at various stages. And Irini, how are you? How are you getting on? How are things? And can you tell us a little bit about the the, the stage that we're going to be talking about today? Yes, uh, I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Um, I am really excited about today's podcast because it is, it's, I think, the cap on a really interesting series of podcasts that have helped us to better understand our own histories of literature and how these have been impacted by the events in our lives, which has been quite lovely. Mm. Um, and I don't think I would have done this on my own had this not come up in our podcast conversation. Yeah, me neither. So I think this is just a brilliant activity or just even a brilliant series of topics for, you know, a, a gathering of English teachers, perhaps over a wine or a coffee. Uh, I know the book club is a very popular means for these types of discussions, but um, this is a little bit more freeform, I feel. It it just gives you an opportunity to open up about your own life and yeah. it's, yeah, it's just quite lovely. So I would highly recommend our um, listeners maybe take one of these topics and try it with their own colleagues or friends. Or students even. Or students. Yeah. Yes. Be awesome. It is, uh, I suppose we've stumbled across a really good vehicle for personal exploration and reflection. Definitely. And that was a bit un unexpected for me. <laughs> I didn't realize I would learn so much about myself by uh, talking about these texts. Let's get started. So we've called this episode The Day After Tomorrow. We have. Uh, recent texts that have impacted us in our current lives. Um, mm -hmm. So what have you got for us? I am uh, working with a few family, friends, uh, children at the moment uh, who are sitting there HSC in Sydney. And one of them is uh, has been tasked with the prescribed text, Swallow the Air by Tara June Winch. And I had heard about this novel from a lot of um, my friends and colleagues, but I hadn't come across it. And so I read it um, because I was helping this student study it for the HSC. Uh, Tara June Winch is an Indigenous Australian uh, female author and Swallow the Air is a, in, in the truest sense of the word, a bitter, sweet look at the experiences of a young Indigenous girl who is trying to uh, reconnect with her family uh, and her sense of identity. And it's so unexpectedly harrowing uh, and so uh, touching at the same time. I found myself, I, I guess I found myself really um, deeply appreciative of the honesty of the writing. Mm. And I've always been uh, a really big advocate for 
you know, an honest approach to incorporating Indigenous perspectives into teaching. And I just feel like for the first time in a very long time, I'm proud that this was a choice as a prescribed text for something like the HSC because so many students will will read this, um, not because they would have chosen it for themselves, but because they have to. And it's a story that people have to hear. Uh, I'm just sad that there will be students that don't read this because it hasn't been chosen for them by their teachers. But um, it's a text that I found to be uh, just just May as a protagonist uh, to be so I felt quite isolated um, from some of her experiences, but at the same time there were there were some, you know, specific issues that she was working through that were related to her culture and her identity and her and uh, her relationships with her family and and relationships with place um, that I was yeah that I found myself really empathizing with. So it's an absolutely incredible read. Um, it will you know it will leave a mark on you. And I, yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't come across it, you, you really should. If you need a little bit of time to do this, that's fine, but I'd love to hear an excerpt. Yeah. So, um, I've got, uh, I've, I've got the copy, um, at home on my bedside table, but I've got a couple of quotes here that I would love to read this particular quote, um, is uh, it's sort of towards the middle of the book. Uh, and I've, I feel like both of these quotes really speak for themselves. So, Okay. Uh, so this is the first one. The thing is, we weren't allowed to be what you're looking for. There is a big missing hole between this place and the place you're looking for. That place, that people, we weren't allowed to be Aboriginal. And without giving too much away, that's a line um, that's that's delivered to May um, from a family member. Oh wow! So she's expecting something that she doesn't find. Um, I won't give too much more away, but that sort of notion of of uh, needing to be allowed to to be something, yeah, particularly you know your your culture and your identity. Um, it's quite poignant. And uh, I will also share with you this line here, which is from the end of the book. If they stop digging up auntie's backyard, stop digging up a mother's memory, stop digging up all of our people, maybe then we'll all stop crying. Wow. Yeah. You know what? You've made me think a lot um, through this series about how what we read influences our perspectives on on life, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and I've, I've been conscious of this for a long time, that it's so important to choose texts that you may not have chosen by default. Like it, it, we have to be courageous to step outside our comfort zones and choose authors and poets and directors that maybe we would feel we don't relate to yeah. in order to enrich our perspective. I, I like to think about reading like nutrition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, we, we can become so comfortable with 
the types of literature that we choose, the types like of texts that we choose. Yeah, yeah. It, it is, and and it's that sort of self fulfilling prophecy that we we choose the things that we that make us feel good. Um, yeah. that we you know the, the form that we're comfortable with, uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But we need to force ourselves to be uh, to have variety in in what we read. And it's not that you should. Like, I don't, I don't believe, I'm not a person who would believe if you pick up a book and you're not enjoying it, I don't think you have to finish it. No, of course not. I think you, you read and if it's not hitting some emotional strings in your heart or you're not compelled to continue reading, it's okay to stop. Mm. (laughs) But you should at least choose things that you're unsure of or you wouldn't normally choose because you might be surprised at how much you do enjoy them. And then you broaden your horizons. And looking back at all of my lists, you know, they, there is some, a very narrow demographic. And I think I was quite conscious of that, you know, picking these texts and listening to some of your choices. It, it has motivated me to, um, you know, think a bit more about the, the authors I, I will seek out. But um, that sounds incredible. It's, it is. It's, it's an, it's a, a very, I, I definitely think it's a life-changing read. Um, and if you're not already aware of the plight of the Indigenous Australian people. It's a really important text to to put a lot of the noise about the issue yeah. into perspective. Um, it's just a really beautifully bittersweet way of of understanding the context. And so great that it's um, it's on the syllabus in mm, New definitely, South Wales. Definitely, it, it was you, a great I, pick. You've made me think about the Kite Runner actually, mm. and. Because that became quite popular for teachers uh, to teach, and mm-hmm. it is a, a hard hitting story, but it it I guess it was very timely when I was teaching. Anyway, um, that came about, and there was a lot of stereotypes mm-hmm. about um, Middle Eastern people at that time in the media, and I mean there, there has been for a long time. But the amount of young people that read that book. I saw firsthand, but I, I, I feel it just had such a big effect on people's perspectives. Yeah. And it feels like this is the same thing. We we have to sort of celebrate and promote this literature of indigenous peoples or peoples who have been on the margins of society. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, their voice is kept small. Yeah, exactly. Highly recommend it. So, Jimmy, please tell me um, a recent text that has impacted you. Oh, mine is so cliche, I think, because I, I see it everywhere <laughs> I now. I should have started. You should have gone. Uh, no, no, no. So this is a, yeah, this is a, uh, although this is quite serious as well. The book that I think has had the greatest impact on me recently and not in a like a, a art literature sense, mm. but in just in mind blown kind of I've learned more from this book um, mm-hmm. than I than I have from texts in recent times. And it is the amazing Sapiens uh, by Yuval Noal Harari. And the reason I think it impacted me so much was because I haven't been a student of some of the things that it writes about, you know, the origins of our species and the development um of our cultures and our societies and how humans have impacted the planet. And so just going back and and listening to that story of of humanity unfolding into our planet and onto our planet and around our planet and how certain things in our modern society where they've stemmed from mm. it was it's just fascinating. I mean, mm. I listened to it in as an audiobook. So I was driving places and I honestly would 
purposefully drive longer routes or drive around the block and just because I couldn't stop listening to it. It, it was wow. so revelatory for me to to find out some of these things. And I think that's why it's become such a popular book is because there's so much information that people may not have thought about too much before. Um, um, I'm interested in the in the audiobook element of, yeah. of your experience because I love podcasts, but I really don't like audiobooks. Interesting. And I, I maybe it's because when I am driving, I want to know that I can tune out and not miss anything. <laughs> yeah. But like how what is it about the format of an audiobook? That you find Great so entrancing, like yeah. compared to a hardback novel, I, I feel like yeah. there are a lot of um, you know English teachers or you know listeners to the podcast who might be a bit of a traditionalist like me. Like I sure. want a hardback. Yeah. I want to be able to touch the pages and smell the book and and dog ear it and put a, my coffee stain. And I, I want to know that that book feels like it's had a life. Yeah. But yeah, what is it about the audiobook format? This you, is a great you great question. So. Here's a couple of facts about my my audiobook habits. Okay. They tend to be if I'm going to be listening to a book in the car, I I will dedicate that book to car, to the car journeys be, and that book will be non-fiction. Okay. They're always non-fiction sure. if it's in the car, but I I run as well, so I, I go running quite sure. regularly. If I'm and I often listen to audiobooks when I'm running, but mm. if I'm listening to an audiobook and I'm running, it has to be fiction. Really? Yes. That's really interesting. And I don't know exactly why, but I have theories. So my theory about why nonfiction works in the car is because it just seems like such a mechanical, I'm just going from A to B or I, I'm usually driving for work um, or go to the airport or whatever. And, and I just, I feel like my brain is primed for information. Sure. I'm in work mode and okay. I'm ready to absorb you know, facts and figures and data and theories. And, but when I'm running, I'm trying to distract myself from uh, it's, the physical it's like stress. So yeah. I, so fiction will, will take me into a world where I will forget my distance and my breathing. And I like, I, that'll just happen automatically. And so I get absorbed into, and uh, I guess in the past, 10-ish year, you know, I've got three small children. It's a very busy household. It's very difficult to to sit down with a hard cap copy book. Mm -hmm. Although I I too love them and, and would prefer them over anything. But it the convenience just um now the third re the third way to answer your question in a very <laughs> long-winded, unnecessary way is uh, I'm Irish and mm. we have a very rich tradition of storytelling. And I grew up and around people telling stories and the, to be able to tell a good story, especially in a humorous way, or just as long as it's gripping is, you know, it's a rite of passage in Ireland. Mm. That's a, such a huge part of our culture, mm. whether people acknowledge it or not, it, it's a storytelling culture. And so listening to people tell stories in audio form, whether it's podcast, nonfiction or fiction, I relate to that and uh, connect with that quite well. So Sapiens was a perfect candidate for this mm -hmm. and read really well and it's structured really well. And there's so much uh, fascinating information in it that it, it's all, it's quite gripping. Like you, you, and millions, I mean, I don't know if millions is, right. <laughs> maybe I'm exaggerating <laughs> there, but lots of people have read this book now mm. and he's had two 
sequels. But uh, I'll, I've chosen one very small excerpt here because I think it, it, it's a good representative uh, excerpt from the, from the book as a whole. So this quote says, The romantic contrast between modern industry that destroys nature and our ancestors who lived in harmony with nature is groundless. Long before the Industrial Revolution, Homo sapiens held a record among all organisms for driving the most plant and animal species to their extinctions. We have the dubious distinction of being the deadliest species in the annals of life. So it's a a bit (laughs) anti-human, but it's also about the potential of humanity and the incredible progress that our, our, you know, our societies have made. Um, but it is, it is great food for thought. It's brilliant for conversation. It's an excellent general knowledge book. And that's awesome. yeah, that's, that's Worth made me rethink a lot of things in, in life and how, you know, our, our place in the planet. And so, yeah, that's, uh, that's one. Now I, I have another one. Do you have another one? Another text that I have come across recently in the same vein, I suppose, of Swallow the Air, that um, I have, I believe I came across a very long time ago, but I don't recall. Um, so it's it's effectively like reading it again for the first time, uh, is a play um, called Away by Michael Gow. Right. And the most interesting part about re-experiencing this play is that I'm – I'm I'm effectively teaching this text to two ESL girls. Ah. And so it's this quintessential sort of Australian play that's set uh, in the 70s in Australia and it's just littered with idioms um, and colloquialisms and there's so much of the context of the time that you need to understand in order to to sort of relate to the characters that it's I'm finding it quite an endearing way to reevaluate these kind of quintessential stereotypical like Australianisms because there's so many times I have to stop and sort of explain what they are to these these you know year 12 Vietnamese Australian girls so it's it it has actually been quite impactful um to I, I guess like realize all of these elements of Australian culture that as, you know, a, a, like a an Australian who has a cultural background that I've taken for granted because I was born here. So you're teaching them culture through this text. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, trying to get them to see if there are elements of their Vietnamese culture that they can used to better understand these elements of Australian culture, but in a lot of ways they are quite starkly different. Um, and look, it's just a, it's, it's such a beautiful play. Have you seen it performed? I have not seen it in the theatre, but it, this really makes me want to see it live. There is a theatre performance that has been recorded um, that I plan to watch with the girls, but I haven't actually seen it live. Okay. I have a question mm. because you've mentioned other plays in we talked about like Titus Adronicus. Mm. Um, when, because I find it very hard to want to read a play. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But except for Shakespeare. Sure. Shakespeare is the exception. Sure. But when you read a play, do you visualize it as people on a stage performing or do you just have a normal visualization process like it's a movie or 
how how do you, how does how does the imagery appear in your head when you read a play? I I actually prefer a play script to reading. Like I, I've actually enjoyed reading plays on average more than I've enjoyed reading novels because they have there's more freedom in your imagination and i suppose that's perhaps because my my second method is drama and so i uh, i love yeah. teaching plays yeah. but um i have acted in a lot of theater plays and I, I love the form of the script i love the the interpretation that an actor can apply to a line of Wait, dialogue so when you are reading the play your actor brain is not only interpreting the scene, but you're taking on the character as well in your mind. In my mind, my mind is forming <laughs> so the characters. It I, yeah, it's it's being acted out in my so mind. That's another level of reading it, experience. You know, I feel like it's another form of escapism, though, because yeah. you have to read the lines and interpret them and portray them all at the same time. Yeah. So it's it, it takes quite a lot more. I, I, I guess, guess effort than a when there's dialogue in in novels as well though mm. I suppose we we might all do that to a certain extent but mm. I get for you I can imagine it's like it's a production going it on is, in your brain it is it totally is and <laughs> and I I love that I love and I love the ability to come back and reread a play at a different stage in your life or a different day or a different time and to feel like those tra- characters have changed somewhat although the way that you're reading it and interpreting it has an element of your personal bias or your personal yeah, context. Yeah. Um, and a way is just, it's, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful play. The characters are really, um, uh, are really relatable and it just touches on this concept of, you know, the complexity of, of, you know, the human character. And, and I really like that. I think it would be great for our listeners to hear a little Ooh, bit of this play. I have, have, I have. Um, it's actually, the opening monologue from the first uh, character that is not um, that is not a, an illusion. So the play opens with uh, Tom, who's the main character, and he is reading out uh, a mon- the monologue of Puck in A Midsummer Night's oh, Dream. Oh, right, yeah. So the beauty of this play as well is that, and this is possibly why I like it with my affiliation with Shakespeare, uh, is that it does have these interjections of of Shakespearean plays. And uh, the I'll read you the stage direction and then the monologue here. And the character's name is Roy and he is he's a, a teacher at the school and he's addressing the audience. Um, he's been uh, involved in putting the play on. Right. So the stage direction begins... Music again, the fairies scurry about and the curtain closes. It opens again and they are caught unready. They form a line and bow a few times. The curtain closes again and they wander off. Roy comes to the curtains. They open a little and he addresses the audience. Well, I'm sure you all enjoy the little show tonight. What a lot of little chips rafferties we've got here in our own school. Now, there are a few people I'd like to say a few words of thanks to before we go tonight. Alan and Betty Sherlaw for providing the timber and so on at the cost to build the settings. Joy Samuels and the art department for painting it all and making it all look so terrific. Seymour's for providing the cordials at half time. Mrs. Walker for the luscious cakes. Well done, Louise. Mrs. Hutton, Mrs. Cooper, Mrs. Lumens, and Mrs. Pat, Pat, Papa, 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 
Papapalax. Oh, well, I'm sure she knows who I mean (laughs) for making the outfits. Finally, Miss Latrobe, the person responsible for getting the whole show together. You've seen her tonight as well as getting our debating team into the quarterfinals. Thank you, Miss Latrobe. Well, that about wraps it up. So thank you all for coming and have a safe and happy Christmas and best wishes for 1968. Thank you. He moves away, then remembers something. Oh, and uh, one more thing, uh, a message from Charlie. Please watch the flowering beds as you leave the school. We lost quite a few at prize giving night. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, just, there is. It it reminds me of modern day mockumentaries. Like. Yes. Yeah. That sort of slice of life. Yep. Uh, unintentional humor because it's re- so relatable culturally. Yeah, it's it just it's it's so the office for me. Yeah, um, it it's that really it, it's the very much that mirror, um, putting a mirror up against you know, uh, itself and 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 really looking so cleverly at that Australian stereotype, particularly at that time. 1968, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just a brilliant little piece. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see it in the theatre when I get an opportunity. So what what, a, what a, a great thing you've just had. You've found it again. It's a renewed, mm, you know, yep. interest for that text. Can you share with us your second Yeah, tip? yeah. So another text, although technically this is, an, this is a poet that I, in recent years, I've just become incredibly enamoured with. And it's also quite special to my wife and I. So um, the poet is a, a poet laureate, American poet laureate, um, Billy Collins, who I'm sure many people will, will know, mm. but many people don't. Um, and I just, uh, in terms of contempt- contemporary poetry, I just relate to, I not only relate, but it's so original. It's mm. such a, an incredible style of poetry. There's something so stoic and profound about the way he writes. And if anybody uh, is new to Billy Collins, uh, just read anything, anything that he's written and you'll, you'll get what I mean when I say it's sort of stoic, but uh, quite profound. He also is very active on social media for uh, an aging gentleman. Um, he, and he, every, I think every day, I'm not sure if he's still doing it every day, but during the pandemic, he was on Facebook Live every day wow. and he was talk, talking about a theme and he was reading one of his poems. Wow. That's commitment. And he is, he's just so interesting to listen to. Like his, his, uh, a lot of his poetry, uh, he, you can find YouTube videos of him reading, reading them. So I, I'll, read, uh, I'll read this one, but it, I will not do it justice. <laughs> but this is w- one of my favorites um, and it's called The Country. I wondered about you when you told me never to leave a box of wooden strike anywhere matches lying around the house because the mice might get into them and start a fire. But your face was absolutely straight when you twisted the lid down on the round tin where the matches, you said, are always stowed. Who could sleep that night? Who could whisk away the thought of the one unlikely mouse? padding along a cold water pipe behind the floral wallpaper, gripping a single wooden match between the needles of his teeth. Who could not see him rounding a corner, the blue tip scratching against a rough-hewn beam, the sudden flare, and the creature 
for one bright, shining moment, suddenly thrust ahead of his time, now a fire starter, now a torch bearer, in a forgotten ritual, little brown druid, illuminating some ancient night, who could fail to notice, lit up in the blazing insulation, the tiny looks of wonderment on the faces of his fellow mice, one-time inhabitants of what once was your house in the country. Oh, that's so good. It's so good. It's such <laughs> what an a, amazing a striking poem. image. It is. Just the the juxtaposition um of of scale. Like, yes. Yeah. Like big and tiny. Like something so engulfing and something yeah. so small. Um and something so seemingly insignificant creating something just a so uh, consuming. He he I mean, this is a comment I'm assuming from some, you know, a, a true story of, of mm. this, these matches being kept because this person was genuinely worried that mice would get into them. And as a, as a true poet, he couldn't get that out of his head of what that would play out like mm. if a mouse did get into the matches. And I love where it goes. Yeah. Just that image of all of these other mice seeing this flame erupt. <laughs> <laughs> and like the surprise in their little faces, and I, I, you know, he couldn't sleep thinking about <laughs> thinking I, about this. <laughs> if it happened, and the house would burn down because of the mice getting into the matches, I don't know. But that's what he does. That's what Billy Collins does. He creates the like just stories and images and thoughts from the most unlikely places, and and makes them sentimental and you know. Um, very powerful. So Billy Collins, yeah. Well, Irini, what a great, uh, another great insight into each other's lives uh, through our love of literature. Mm. And great series, I think, of four little yeah. podcasts. Well, I don't and, know that uh, this one was quite little. We got I, off track. <laughs> yeah, I feel a bit sad. We've, we've just got one left to go. Yes, But maybe we will do it again. We'll find other excuses to talk about good literature. <laughs> we will. So we'll finish there. Next time we will be talking about texts we love to hate to teach. Mm, what yeah. a great topic. Um, thanks everybody for listening. We would love to hear your comments and questions, your stories about the texts that you love and the texts that have impacted your life. And please do join our Facebook group, uh, EP Global English Teachers. Mm-hmm that's on Facebook join up that and uh, send us a, a message or, or a question or a little story and um, maybe in our future loving literature shows we can we can read those out um, so yeah that's it for me thanks Irini thank you Brilliant. see you next time bye